morning, IBCA. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in the first nine verses this morning. First nine verses. We've been in a series on the lavish love of God. And we've talked about many different angles, very many different aspects of God's love for us. And today, we're tackling a rather interesting dimension of the love of our God, but an incredibly important one, because the reality of this life is that it can be difficult. Life can be hard and cruel at times, and in those times, it can feel like the love of God is distant or even absent in our lives. We're going to look at this heavy question. How do we reconcile hard times, the severe pain that we experience in this life with the love of God. When you're going through the hardest trials, disappointments, setbacks in life, how do we know the love of God and experience it in those times? That is the question. Because it's one thing to sing and declare the love of God when all is going well in life. It is another entirely to believe and trust in the love of God when everything around us seems to be falling apart? What should the Christian do on that day of grief or loss or injustice when it arrives in our life? Our brother David Chin, as you all may have seen in our email, recently passed. He went home to be with the Lord, I think, Monday night. Maybe it was uh, the, the evening before. But just a few months prior, and his eldest son, Judah, unexpectedly passed away. David's health quickly declined after. I don't know for sure, but I suspect that the grief may have been a part of it. And I think about this situation, and I remember that David and his wife, not so long ago, they came here to Arlington so that David would be equipped for ministry. He wanted to serve the Lord with his life. He got trained at Southwestern like many of you are getting your training right now. Upon graduation, he sought the Lord and asked, Lord, where would you send me? The Lord opened up a chance for him to go down to Texas City to assist with the church plant. He wasn't going for any particularly big position there, not to lead it, just to help. His heart was always to serve the Lord, to do whatever he could. And while he was there, he was diagnosed with cancer, right? His health began to ail. He began this long battle with cancer. And then a few months ago, his son dies unexpectedly, and last week, his life came to an end. Friends, if that were you, how would you encounter, if you were his wife or his daughter, how would you process the love of God? Would it not be difficult to really, to really believe in that moment that God is loving? It would it not be truly difficult to encounter the love and mercy of God? But folks, according to the word of God, even in suffering, we know and can come to know the love of God more deeply. I want us to consider what the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses 1 to 9. Let's read it together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to, you, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of suffering, you have made a way for us to encounter your goodness, to experience your love, and to have our hope set on such a, 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 a living hope, Father, in eternity, that we can, even on this earth, even in the darkest of times, Lord, we can rejoice with an inexpressible joy. Father, I pray that you would now come and equip us as the church to weather the storms of this life that are inevitable. Every one of us here, Lord, we recognize, needs to, will one day come to grip with our mortality, with the loss of our loved ones, whether parents or siblings or children. All of us will encounter disappointments and setbacks. But Father, I pray that when those times come, O oh Lord, we would have the capacity to know how to be loved by you even when life is hard and the future seems bleak. Father, build our faith, O oh Lord that we would trust in you and give you glory when that hard, evil day comes. We ask the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Peter begins this letter by addressing his audience in two ways. Number one, he says that they are God's elect, to God's elect. And then he says that they are exiles scattered throughout the provinces that he lists out here. Let's start here first with exiles here. I want you to look at your uh, fellow Christian in your seats in the pews around you and say, howdy, stranger. Can y'all say that? Howdy, stranger. Did you all know every one of you here is a sojourner? You are a stranger in this world that is not meant for this world. The word there for Exiles is an idea that these people, when, when Peter, sorry, when Peter addresses them, he's saying that these are the people that have been scattered abroad in this world, not necessarily scattered from their physical homes, although the early church, that is true, many of them were scattered abroad, but mostly they are scattered abroad in this world as those who spiritually are away from home. 
Paul, in another passage, describes this life as being away from home and that we have this heavenly home that we're waiting to go back to. We are all travelers and sojourners here. That, and, and, and as those who are not home yet, we need to remember no, no matter how uncomfortable this life gets, that we have a home to return to. So that's first. He says that you guys are exiles scattered. He also says that you are God's elect or God's chosen people, people that from the very start God had in mind. However you may view election, the point here is that from the very beginning God had an intention that those that he foreknew uh, and chosen, that they that we would be sanctified by his work in the spirit to become obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. We are those who are chosen to be sanctified. God's purpose from the beginning was not just for us to come through this life and know his goodness, but to be made more like him, to be sanctified, to become uh, uh, holy as he is holy, to share in his character and the joy of becoming like Jesus Christ. And from just these two verses alone and these two truths, we have a light that we can follow in this life, no matter how dark life gets. You have, you would say, a lighthouse that's shining the light to show you which way to go no matter how hard the storm becomes. Just these two truths. Can you believe it? Today I'm only going to preach a two-point sermon. Just these two truths about being in exile and being one chosen by God for sanctification. Two truths. Are you ready? Have you got your pens out? This is the key points for today. Number one, jot this down. We need to remember as sojourners, we can take comfort in knowing that this world is not our final home. As sojourners, we can take comfort in knowing that this world is not our final home. And there's a second part to that. And that the life to come will be immeasurably greater than our current life. We remember that the life to come will be immeasurably greater than our current life. If you want to sum it up in one phrase, and you may have heard this sometimes in prosperity preaching, but we're not using it in prosperity preaching today, there's this phrase, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That is a true statement for every Christian, but catch this, does not mean that the best is yet to come for this life. Did you know for many, many Christians in the early church, their best in terms of most comfortable days were behind them as soon as they became Christians. Because now they had to live in a world that was hostile. But spiritually, for every Christian, the best is yet to come in terms of true joy, true peace, true delight, true satisfaction and happiness. For every one of us, we're only getting a small taste of what is to come, the unending bliss of knowing God. The best is yet to come. Turn to your neighbor and tell them the best is yet to come. Would you let them know it? Amen. Amen. That is true. Do you believe it? Number two, as those chosen by God, we can find security in knowing that God has planned from the beginning a journey of sanctification that brings an everlasting reward. I know that was kind of long, so let me say it again. As those chosen by God, we find security in knowing that God has planned from the beginning, right? This is not an accident in the plan of God. His 
intention has always been this, that he means to take you on a journey of sanctification so that you would receive an everlasting reward one day to bring before God with which you may delight in him. You might sum this up in saying our greatest joy is in this life, our greatest joy is in knowing and honoring Christ. The greatest joy for the Christian is in knowing and honoring Christ. So two points here, right? If you want to uh, just briefly put them into a phrase, the best is yet to come because we're exiles. Number two, our greatest joy is in knowing and honoring Christ because we are those chosen to be sanctified in Jesus Christ. First, let's consider this truth that this world is not our final home and that the best is yet to come. We see here that Peter rejoices in the Lord, right, in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection from Jesus Christ from the dead, of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter rejoices that by God's mercy, because God is merciful, not because we've earned it. In fact, we are people fully undeserving of this great hope that he has given to us, but out of love. God has provided us this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? In John 3, Jesus talks about uh, how we can be born again, right? And here in this passage, it says, in his great mercy, we have been, uh, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. We have a spiritual new birth. You all know it as Christians, that when we come to believe that when Jesus Christ was lifted up, that he was a propitiation for our sins. We know that when we believe in the sacrifice of Christ, that there is a new life and a new birth we are given in Christ. Right? We all know that passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. There is a reality that all of us, when we believed in Christ, were born again spiritually. We were given new spiritual lives. Whether or not we experience it or not, that, was, that is the truth. And sometimes we treat this new birth as if it was just something that happened, and now we just move on with life. I want you to consider the comparison with real physical birth. Can you possibly imagine telling a baby, you're going to be born, and when you come out, everything will just be like it was. You're just going to sit there in a dark, empty place, and do nothing, right? Or you'll thrash around and that's it. No, that's crazy. When a baby is born, all these new things happen. It comes into the light, begins to breathe air. It feels the, that baby touches the warmth of their, its mother and father. It sees the face clearly of the one that it's only heard while in the womb. It experiences what it means to taste, to touch, to, uh, to see and to hear. Right, All these things begin to happen in the life of that, that baby. Spiritually, when we are born again, there is this new life that we are brought into, this new hope that we receive from God. We don't live no, uh, any longer as those that are meandering aimlessly in this life, but the light of Christ comes into our lives and we now walk with the living God and we see this life not in terms of, we don't measure this life in terms of the world's standards, but we have this living hope that we look forward to now. Sometimes, some of us as Christians, we live negligent of this new life we've been given. 
But we have, in reality, as born-again Christians, this new living hope in Jesus Christ. We were born for it. We were made for it. We were made to live in it. And that new hope looks like the fact that we, we see Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and we realize that's going to be us one day. That we're going to be risen from the grave. We're going to be brought before the Lord. Even as Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, one day we will be there in the presence of God fully. We have this, this, this hope that when this cruel, sometimes tragic and a unfair life ends, we have a far greater life to arrive to one day when we come to heaven. And so Peter tells us here that there's this this new life, this new hope we have in Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. And not only is there the hope of life after death, it's the hope of an inheritance that's been secured for us. Look at verse 4. Right, Speaking about the best is yet to come. There's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for us in heaven, being uh, uh, guarded by the Lord God. And we have this certainty that when we get to heaven, we will take hold of it fully. I have a question for you. How, how, do, you exp- how do you know, how do you understand this inheritance we have waiting for us in heaven? Is it just that we get to go to heaven? What does it look like? Inheritance in Scripture, what does it mean? In the Old Testament, we know that inheritance was used uh, to talk about God's giving of land, right? A, 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 a place to flourish and prosper for his people. And uh, it was given to them in terms of establishing of the, a nation and their families and the joy and bliss that comes with it. But you'll remember there was one tribe that didn't get a land as inheritance. That's right. The Levites instead were promised that God would be their portion, And did you know that the Levites, actually, if you look at it now, had the best part? They got to spend their whole lives worshiping and honoring God. That's what their lives were about. Who cares about a land that can be taken away? Who cares about a land that can get cursed by drought and by storm and flooding? When you start to disobey God, the Levites had it best to be in the house of the Lord, to serve him wholeheartedly. Folks, did you realize the inheritance we have, that spiritual inheritance, is that we are those who dwell in the presence of God every day as his people, with him as our God, and with our portion to be that we serve the living God and honor him with our lives. That inheritance is ours in Jesus Christ. We have that spiritual inheritance. Not only that, we have the inheritance of knowing and walking with God. Jesus says that we are those who have inherited eternal life. How do we inherit eternal life? Nicodemus asks. You got to be born again. And when, what is this eternal life? You might wonder. Jesus tells us in John 17, three, it's to know God. Have we forgotten that eternal life, that this eternal life that we have is not just that we'll die and go to heaven. That eternal life is that we know the living God and experience his love, his grace, his mercy and forgiveness every day. And he walks with us and he talks with us like that old hymn goes. We have this intimate walk with him and our Lord Jesus Christ. That God has made every part of himself available to you. All of God's kindness, all of God's powerful provision is yours. If you don't get something, that's not because God couldn't provide it. That's because he knows it's not what's best for you. Praise God that we have that assurance, right? We know we have all of his presence and his spirit has been poured out into us. Did you know that there's 
No part of the character of God that that is unavailable to you. Through his spirit, he can work on every part of your life to make you bear fruit. You're not lacking in any way. The spirit of God is willing. Question is, are, are we willing? Every part of God is made available to us through Jesus Christ. Praise God for that rich inheritance. Amen? We also have an inheritance of God that comes in the, the entry into the kingdom of God. Have you thought about it that we have, we have been given full access to be in this new community of God made without sin? A place where the principles and values of God are established. Aren't you excited that there's coming a time where there's going to be a reign that is truly just? That the, that the wicked and corrupt will not get away with the abuse of those who are needy? Right? Aren't you glad that there's a time where a place where it's not the high and lofty that receive honor and recognition? There's, there's a place in the kingdom of God where those who are servant-hearted and lowly are elevated. Praise God for that fact. I don't know about you, but I want to live in a community where that's true. I want to live in a community where there's the, the, the full blessing towards those who live in righteousness and faithfulness and that there's accountability for those who don't. There is such a kingdom, my friends. It is the kingdom of God. I want to be in that place where Jesus reigns as king. That kingdom is coming, and it is here even now. Every place where Jesus Christ reigns as Lord, starting from your own life, we experience that kingdom of God. But let's not forget that there is the physical. The kingdom of God is coming here one day. There will be the actual establishment of the reign of Christ. There's coming a day when heaven and earth are going to be made new, right? We love this world, and man, we wish we could take better care of it, right? But then we got to drive cars, and we got to feed cattle, and they mess up our ozone layer, and all of that. Jesus Christ is going to make all things new, a new heaven and new earth. He's going to make you and I new. Our bodies will be made new. The word of God tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says when the last trumpet sounds, the dead are going to be raised imperishable. We're going to be raised up with, uh, with new bodies. Philippians 3.20, Paul teaches us that we're going to, uh, our old lowly bodies will one day be transformed to be like the glorious body of Christ. That w- though we are on this earth at times sick, and stricken with disease, though our body breaks down, though our loved ones begin to grow old and we see that their lives are starting to maybe come to a close, praise God that one day there is a new, renewed body that we will have. And the best part is not the fact that physically it operates perfectly. The best part is that the old, decayed, sinful heart is going to be taken away fully. And we're going to be made just like Christ. Word of God says that we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to be like him. Can you imagine that day where you don't have to struggle with that sin that dominates your your heart and makes you ashamed and in guilt? That, That frustrating habit that puts issues between you and your loved ones. One day God's going to make all of that new friends. That's part of the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. How beautiful that day will be. Did you know there's even more to that inheritance? That one day, according to James chapter 1, 1 Peter 5, John and, uh, says it in Revelation 3, that we have this heavenly reward that we're building up even right now. When you live for the Lord Jesus, did you know that that's not wasted? Do you know that every time you decide to seek the Lord and love him, that the Lord keeps track of those things? They put it in scripture like this, that there's this crown of glory 
one day that the Lord will grant to you, not for your glory, but for you to take that crown of your faithful life and that you would lay it down before the Lord whom you love so very much. For he is the one that has given you this great inheritance and you can say, Lord, here is my offering to you. I love you. That's part of your inheritance, church. How sad that so many Christians, so many of us in our lives, we do not steward what God has given. We do not love as God has called us to love. And we may arrive in heaven one day with very little to offer him. But folks, we were meant to arrive with this joyful anticipation that one day I will hear that commendation, well done, good and faithful servant, and I'll take those crowns and I'll offer them unto my Lord. What a thought. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get to heaven, folks. The inheritance that he has provided for us that is never perishing, that will not spoil and not fade. Why do I talk about this when we talk about this question of rejoicing in the midst of suffering in hard times? I want you to consider right now, church, that not long ago our brother David was laying down on the earthly bed with his body stricken by cancer, his body racked by disease. He was in utter grief over the loss of his son. He was unable to do any of the ministry that he had set his life apart for. Can you imagine that for all of us preparing for Monday ministry, that might be us one day. That God has taken away our capacity to do ministry. There's coming, there was a time where he was unable to celebrate and live life with his family. He couldn't even speak in the final weeks of his life. The cancer had so damaged his body. But folks, because of the hope, the living hope we have in Jesus Christ, our brother David today is headed to the heavenly throne of Christ to his loving Savior, where he's going to receive a body that will never again be stricken by disease and suffer in agony. He is going to a place where he was going to be able to worship and serve his Savior without having that part of his joy ever taken away again. He is going to that place where he will be reunited with his Son, whom he lovingly raised All of those years, he sees him once again. I told him that passage that day we went to Judah's funeral. Just as King David said about his son, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him one day. That has come true because of the hope of the gospel. There there, There has come that day now where David is able to now sing to the Lord his Voice has been restored. Not only can he talk, but he can once again praise and worship his Lord forevermore. Friends, David has come to know truly that the best was yet to come. He gets it now. Right now, I don't get it fully. You don't get it fully. But for every Christian that passes in the next part of eternity, they get it. That the best has yet to come. That inheritance that was stored up for David that he is starting to enjoy now at, at the, at, in the presence of God, that is meant for you and I. And here is the challenge for us folks when we think about this truth that the, yet, the best is yet to come. 
The challenge is that in this life, we look at our current world, this current life, and we think that true joy and fulfillment and satisfaction comes in living in this world rather than deriving our joy and our hope from the one that brings us all that is yet to come. And so I have a question for you. In your week to week, how much of your praise and delight and joy comes from this world and what this world can afford us? Does it come from having fun with friends? Does it come from the working out of your job? Does it come from the growth of your bank account? Does it come from the enjoyment of that movie or even the playing of that sport? Is that where our joy is? Or is our joy being derived from the one who has granted us eternal life, who is preparing for us an eternal home with an inheritance that is imperishable? Here's the problem. If right now we are not looking to the Lord for that joy, chances are when the hard times come, we will not rejoice in the eternal inheritance that is coming. We will instead lament the fact that the good things of this life have passed for the moment. Because our joy has constantly been in this world. In church, I'm here to say today that if we don't learn to delight in the Lord himself, we will be very cold-hearted, if even lukewarm, about heaven. Because in heaven, we're not going to be doing the same things we were doing here. Our focus will be on loving the Lord and rejoicing with the people of God. And so if our lives are not joyful here and now in that area that God has provided, heaven will seem awfully dull and a drag. And it is not that. The more you walk with God, the more you take time to worship him day to day, the more you open his word and say, Lord, I love your word and how it teaches me and leads me and guides me and refreshes my soul, the more you, 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 you take time to live before God and for his glory here on this earth, the more you will look forward and anticipate and hunger for heaven because you realize that that's where the joy is. And you realize that even when the hard times come and the floods and the storms come, that these things cannot take away the joy you're experiencing here. And there's so, so much more of that to come. Church, are you following me? Are you guys getting me here today? That that this is the way it works. The more we know and love God now, the more joy and hope we have in the darkest of hours. No one appreciates home so much as the one that's been away from home for a long time and is having a difficult day, right? And if you are in this life and everything is always going well, you're not going to long for home, your heavenly home. Let me illustrate with my daughter. When my daughter is going out and playing at the park all day, we're giving her, I don't know, snacks, I don't know, McNuggets or an ice cream, don't judge me. You know, we're giving her a blast. She does not want to go home. She says, no, I don't want to go home. But you know what? When the day gets hard, my, gr- my girl starts to get tired. When she falls and hurts her knee, when she gets rejected by the other kids playing at the park and she's struggling, do you know what she says? Mommy, Daddy, I want to go home. Why? Because home is where mom and dad's nurturing love is. Home is where she knows there is security. Home is where the comforts, the true comforts and belonging and the security of her life is found. Folks, do we long for home? 
You know what the Apostle Paul did? He said, I'd rather be at home with the Lord. But for your sake, I'm still here, people. Because of you guys, I'm still here. I'd rather be with the Lord. Do we long for home? What happens is when life gets hard, God shows his love in a new way because we begin to experience how wonderful, how, how hopeful, how joyful the prospect of heaven is. There's a certain joy and love we can know from God in thinking about his inheritance he's prepared for us that we would never know until the storms of life comes. And so it's true, even when you're suffering and you're going through the valley of death, even if your ministry was cut off and your health was taken away, God can show you his love in a totally new way because you will see how dependable, how eternal God is and what a hope you have in the life to come. When all else is dried up in this life, you start really looking forward to the next life. Folks, that gives you bright hope for tomorrow. I've already preached long on this one point. I don't want to go overly long here, so I want us to skip down to the second part of our sermon today. It is not only the fact that we have this inheritance saved up for us, which is guarded by the Lord in power. It's not only that we, uh, you know, we can look forward, but look in verse 6. There's a hope that we have here and now that allows us to live joyfully, not just waiting for what is to come, not just gritting our teeth to get through life, but in verse 6 he says, in all of this, referring to the fact that we've been given new life and that we have this living hope in Christ, referring to this inheritance we have, in view of all these things, he says, in all of this, Peter says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have a you may have had had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says that in view of our coming uh, reunion with Jesus Christ one day, that we receive hope here and now in the hard times, knowing that Christ through difficult times is refining us. The illustration there is, is like one who works with precious metals. To purify a precious metal, you run it through intense heat to burn up all the impurities, and in doing so, you make that metal more valuable. But Peter points out here that, you know, even a refined piece of gold becomes worthless one day because this world is going to pass away. And, you know, who knows that they make a synthetic gold, right? There's a lot of things that can take away that value of the gold. But he says, we, on the other hand, are having our lives refined for an eternal purpose. I want us to notice here that going through this refinement, Peter, sorry, I keep mixing it up. Peter says that it is for a little while. I know it may not feel like it at times, but church, you're suffering and going through a rough time right now. Remember that this too will pass. may not feel like a short time, but there's coming a length of eternity where all that you do in this time of suffering gets converted into sheer joy and worship to God. 
There's only one conversion that matters when you get to heaven. You can't convert gold. You can't convert your dollars. You can't convert your prestige. But you can convert the way that you lived for God when you were suffering so that when you get to heaven one day, it results in rejoicing before the Lord. And so Peter is not diminishing the reality that we suffer. He says it right here. We're going to suffer through all kinds of trials. And some of you are going through that right now. You're, you got a loved one that's sick, maybe passed away. Some of you are going through life and you don't see the way forward for your future. And it's suffering. It's agony waiting. It's not easy. We're not diminishing that. We hear us you know, read, read about Hurricane Ian, 44 dead. Those are all fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, children to someone else in their family. There's a lot of suffering in this world. But for the Christian who lives for the Lord and realizes my hardship is is for the purpose of my refinement, we can convert, turn those hard times into worship to the Lord one day. And it brings joy and, uh, and, and pleasure even now because we see in the way that God is refining our lives through the hard times. Let me give you a little illustration here. Uh, Paul says in another passage that uh, physical exercise or training is of some value, right? In this life, it makes you healthier, it makes you more active, it can make you happier. But he says spiritual training is far superior because it brings us hope not only in this life, but in the life to come. For the Christian, when we realize that God is stretching and refining us in this life, it gives us joy in the present, knowing that in the life to come, none of this training and the hard times, what you learn when you lose a loved one, what you experience and learn when you are betrayed by someone you care about, what you learn and how you live before God and how you grow from being separated from the ones that you love. That these things cause you to become like Christ, which one day leads to his worship. And when you see that in your life, when you see that I'm growing in dependence on God, when you see I'm growing in what it means to listen to God, I'm growing in what it means to fear God, I'm growing in what it means to surrender this area to God, when these things begin to show fruit in your life, we can take joy in knowing that this is all part of how I'm going to honor the Lord one day and bless his name when I get to heaven. Folks, what's our view when difficult time comes? It sounds weird. I struggled with this when I was preparing this. Can we really rejoice and bless God's name because of hard times? And the answer is yes. Not in some hyper-spirituality, but we can bless the Lord in the same way that an athlete enjoys the burning of lactic acid when they're lifting their weights. They are not masochists. They don't enjoy pain. But there is actually release, did you know, of a chemical that causes, I think it's endorphins, that causes you to feel some measure of joy, or I don't know about joy, but pleasure when you're lifting weights. I don't exercise as much, but as some of our heavy weightlifters here can tell you about this, that weightlifting can actually become a little addictive because there is that release of that good feeling. Spiritually, the same thing is true. When you learn to delight in the work of God and refining your life in the hard times, we learn to worship and praise and not view it as just a horrible thing. And God does something amazing. He makes us to bless his name even because of the hardship, for we see how that's refining us and changing us to be more like Christ. 
The, he says here in verse 7, these have come, these hard times have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold may result in the praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Can I ask you today, church, think about your hardships. Are they getting converted to praise for the Lord? Do you bless the Lord? Yes, Lord, this is hard I wish I had a different circumstance, but thank you for how you're teaching me. Thank you for how you're leading me. Thank you, Lord, that maybe parenting is hard and I'm tired and my daughter doesn't obey me. Thank you that you're teaching me how disobedient I am, right? Thank you, Lord, that though though you've taken away a loved one, thank you that you're teaching me about how important it is that we have this eternal hope in you and that I don't have to fear that this life is the end. Does worship come out of our hardship? Church, I'm a little over time here, so let me begin to close with this. In this life, there is the temptation for the Christian to fall in line with the rest of the world to think that joy comes out of good things in this life. We need to not fall into that trap. What makes you shine as a Christian is your capacity to rejoice in good times. Anyone can rejoice when life is going well. But when the storms come... And when your life feels like it's being torn asunder and you still have a joy in your heart and you still bless the Lord and you still rejoice before your neighbor. I'm not saying that you can't grieve, but when there's still this hope that you hold on to, the world sees that truly your God is enough. That the inheritance that you have promised in Jesus Christ is not for show, but it truly carries you through the hardest times. When our sister Hannah Chin uh, was at Judah, her brother's funeral, she sang this song by Shane and Shane called, Though You Slay Me. Maybe some of you have heard the lyrics. But one of the quotes in that song goes like this, Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, still I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. I sing a song to the one who's all I need. The joy that we experience, the love of the lavish love of God that we experience in hard times is that experience that, Lord, you are all I need. You've stripped away the other things that give me joy. And you are fair to do it because it came from your hand to begin with. But Lord, I am learning you are enough. That's the hope for the Christian. When everything else is taken away, still the Lord is enough. When Shane Bernard came up with this song, it, it actually didn't come by him hearing Job 13, but it came at a time when he had just lost his father. He and his mother had just received news of his father's passing, and it hit them like a truck. His mother was reported to have immediately crumpled. She could not stand and began to hyperventilate. And as Shane embraced his mother and squeezed her and tried to comfort her, she just whispered out this one phrase. He gives, he takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. It so impacted Shane that he continued to hold on to that one little phrase. If I'm not mistaken, Shane would go on eventually to lose some of his children as well. But from all these experiences came that gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching song, 
though you slay me. In church, I want to warn you, if you're here today and you've not been in that place where you have felt the heavy weight of this broken world, to prepare yourself by learning to rejoice in the Lord, not just in the good times and the good things of this life. Because I can assure you, the storms will come. We will all age. Our loved ones will all age. We will all experience hardship in life. And if you are serious about loving Jesus and following him, Jesus says that if you're going to follow after me, that you're going to be persecuted, that you're going to suffer. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we're told in Scripture, will suffer. So we need to steal and prepare ourselves and find that only source that we have of hope when it turns night. Church, would you bow your heads with me for a moment now? We're going to have a time to come before the Lord and ask him to search our hearts. Sister Hannah, would you come and would you play the chorus of, or even the song of Shane and Shane's, Though You Slay Me? I want us to come and meditate and reflect. Where is the source of our hope and joy this week? What has been your delight? What has been the thing to make you excited during the week? Has it been to come before the presence of our loving God and Savior, to rejoice in his salvation, to remember of his mercy for us and to bless his name? Or has our portion and our joy been physical, temporal, even, God help us, ungodly and sinful things in life? If you've been putting your joy and your hope into wrong areas, maybe even good things, if our hope has been in our academics, our missions field that is to come, a relationship, our children, our bank accounts, would you ask that the Lord remind you that He is your portion. He is your inheritance. Oh, Lord, teach us to delight in you, Lord, more than the earthly things, to love you more than we love life. Father, teach us as your children to be so enraptured by your love that even if the prospect came of losing this life and losing our health and losing our, our, our ministries or our possessions, that we would bless your name and eagerly look towards your kingdom, look towards that inheritance that can be never taken. Purify our hearts, O Lord. Give us a hunger for things above. Lord, I ask that you would diminish our appetite for this world. Lord, help us to think less of just entertainment, of just enjoying fun times, though you have made them as a part of how we enjoy this life. Lord, help them to not become idols. And Lord, the truth is many of us here have spent far more time watching videos, reading about other people's lives, listening to all the world has to say and offer. We've spent far more time doing that, Lord, than we have hearing from you, more than we have spent time communing with you, more than we have spent time praying and even just enjoying you in worship. 
And Father, I pray for transformation. Spirit, help us. Spirit, help us to discern what is best in this life and what our portion truly should be. Take a moment now, and I want you to think of those things that are really giving you the most joy and pleasure and satisfaction in life. And I want you to surrender those to the Lord. Maybe they're all all bad, but I want you to give them to God and say, Lord, help me not to love these things and look to these things for my joy and hope and recognition that those things come and go. But the Lord is a steadfast Lord whose love is unchanging. Come back before him. Rejoice in him.